Well, let me get this out of the way first. I've had about five people ask me, do I have to put my phone in a bag this week? And the answer to that is no. I hope your phone, your device, or your physical Bible will be very active this morning because it's my plan for us to look at a pretty exciting discipline today, but one that a lot of us know about in the grand scheme of things, but that we, if we're honest, we don't practice very often, much like solitude and silence, uh, much like the Sabbath. They're great in principle, they're great in religious terms, but when it comes down to it, it's one that we've kind of left off to the side. And that's the practice of fasting. Now, lest you be confused, I want to define fasting first. It does not mean driving fast, walking fast, or any sort of fast movement. That actually has nothing to do with it. Donald Whitney and John Stott both define it in similar ways, so I thought I'd give you that. And as we get moving today, I want to cover quite a bit of ground uh, and I want to let you know that last week's message, the, the, the PowerPoint, that is saved as a PDF and will be up on our website this week that if you want to download all the notes from last week, this week uh, the notes will be available along with the references that we refer to. You won't see the references on the screen just in case we have a problem with our power note. I kept it, our PowerPoint, I kept it simple. But you'll have those available for download with the, the message MP3 on our podcast site. So Real quickly, I wanted to get that out of the way so you can know, Mike, you talk too fast. Well, I I apologize for that in advance, but there is a way for you to download and follow along uh, a second time if you'd like. The discipline of fasting, Donald Whitney says, is a Christian's voluntary abstinence, withdrawal, uh, uh, removal of from food for spiritual purposes. Whitney here is saying fasting is ultimately all about food. Uh, Then John Stott goes a little bit more broad, and I think that's fair in the world we find ourselves in today, and he says going without food or some other physical need for a particular period of time for a spiritual purpose. Now, both of those give you the idea that you give up something for a spiritual objective, for a spiritual goal. And at the heart of every spiritual discipline we practice, the goal is the same, to draw us near to God. That is always the primary objective. So as we go through today, we're going to see lots of reasons why we might fast, but the primary goal is always exactly the same, and that is to draw us near to God and to teach us that we can depend on him in all situations. Jesus had just taught his disciples how to pray, and then he moves from that section right into a new section on fasting. And I want to start here, and this will be the background of our text throughout as we go throughout this morning and we look throughout the scriptures. But Jesus says, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do. And by the way, he's looking right at the Pharisees when he says this, because that was part of their practice. For they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, which a person of that day and culture would do every day. 
So for us, let's modernize this. Let's mic this up a little bit. Get out of bed, take a shower, and go about your normal day. That's what he's saying. When you fast, look like a normal human being. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, I want to point out a couple things as we get moving this morning. And the first is this. Notice Jesus does not say, if you fast. He uses a different word. Can anybody tell me what that different word is? When you fast. That doesn't make it very optional. So right off the bat, Jesus is teaching that, hey, I expect you to be a fasting people. But Mike, later on, Jesus tells us that his disciples don't need to be fasting, or that they're not fasting right now. And Jesus' response is, yeah, because they've got the bridegroom with them. But there are other reasons to fast. And upon Jesus' departure from this earth, of course the disciples then did fast. And of course that pattern continued. In the Old Testament, Joel makes a bold declaration of, you have strayed away from God. Much of the message of Joel has to do with this idea of Israel uh, and Judah yet yet again pulling away from the lordship of God in their lives. And what does God tell them to do? In Joel 1, 13 and 14, it says this, put on, verse 13, you don't have on the screen, 14 you will, put on sackcloth and lamento, priests. And I want you to get this part too so you can see where some confusion came. Put on sackcloth and lamento, priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go and pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. When we fast, part of that is looking to God and saying, God, I need you. I should know that already, but God, here it is in bold letters. I'm declaring a fast to get alone with you. It's not about the clothes I'm wearing. That was a corporate fast, and that's what the Pharisees took, and then they began to show everybody, hey, look, on Mondays and Thursdays of every week, you can see this in Luke, that we're going to fast, and you're going to see how miserable this fast makes us, so that you can see we're a holy people. (laughs) Look at me, I'm such a good religious person that I am fasting, and I'm miserable doing it. But that missed the heart of what fasting was about. When God told the people of Israel to fast and to put on sackcloth and to mourn, it was to give a physical picture of the brokenness of their rebellion. And as you read on through Joel, God invites them back. And so when Jesus teaches on fasting, he's teaching on an individual fast that points us to say, hey, in your heart, And in your private life, order it in such a way that God sees what's going on in your heart. That your fast isn't so people can see, look how hungry he is because he's skipped a meal or two meals. 
You fast out of adoration for our God and our King because we know that he is trustworthy. So I was thinking, how do I visually illustrate that when I had you put phones in a bag last week? What could I do this week that shows that fasting has a valuable place and that it draws us into the reality and the experience that God is so much bigger than our experiences? And then I thought of it. A couple weeks ago, my wife took my youngest two children and they went off to America for a, a quick visit in America with, uh, with Melissa's mom and with different family members and whatnot. And so while she was there, of course, what do, uh, what do I do? I get on Amazon and think of what I can buy that she can get in America and she can bring back with me, okay? So it was October 3rd and I knew she was coming back and I had placed my order on Amazon and I was so excited because my wife was bringing me back one of my favorite writing implements in the world, Sharpies. I have these by the, well, I, I lose them a lot. That's why I needed a big pack. I was so excited about the Sharpies. I couldn't wait. I knew she was getting on the plane and she was bringing me Sharpies. And it was great. And there was much excitement in my life because I was getting new Sharpies. But then something happened at arrival hall A. This beautiful, tired but beautiful woman and two little kids turned to the corner and I saw them. I could have cared less about the Sharpies at that point because I was whole. My family was back. And that was of such greater value than a stupid pack of pens. How much more so when we say, Lord, I am going to deny myself this because you are so much more. That is at the heart of what fasting is. Food is great. If I said right now, think about your favorite meal, you will think about that for the rest of the message. We like food. The invitation to fast began with the idea that as great as food can be and as useful as food is for nourishing and sustaining us, God is so much greater. And we can depend on him to sustain us in all things. So when Jesus calls us to fast, he says, remember, it's about your heart and just like every spiritual discipline we've talked about, the practice of Sabbath is to get into the rhythm of God. The practice of study and, and meditation on the word of God is to bathe ourselves in his words that they become who we are and they be, outflow out of us as they cleanse us and they guide us into his truth. And the practice of silence and solitude reminds us that our safety is in retreat, in surrender. That it's in trusting him with our lives. In the same way, the discipline of fasting reminds us that there is strength, that there is provision, and there is power in the Lord. That is enough for all things. 
So then my question becomes, you understand the basic idea of fasting. Basically, for today's day and age, when we look at fasting, we think of skipping a meal or a season of meals for a specific purpose. Uh, And those specific purposes we'll look at through what the scriptures had to say. Now, uh, you would find in scriptures that there were a couple of different kinds of fasts depending on how the situation developed. One such fast was what was called a regular fast. And that just meant you went without food for a, a, a set amount of time. The second type of fast you would have found with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was called a partial fast. They only ate out of the Hebrew diet. They didn't eat all of the other food that had been offered to them. That was a partial fast. They were abstaining from what was offered to focus just on who the Lord is and that he would provide based, or he would sustain them based on what he would provide. And then there's the third, there's that absolute fast, which many believe is what Jesus did when he went out into the wilderness to fast before he was tempted for 40 days with no food or water. Now, I don't encourage you to go 40 days or nights without food and water, but you can go a season of time without those. And our bodies can sustain a fast from food for 40 days. Uh, I've known many people that have done it. I am not one of them. I confess I have lacked faith to go 40 days without food. But that's an absolute fast when you go without anything and all of your attention is focused on the Lord. Part of the reason we fast is that when we get hungry, when we notice what we've denied ourselves, it reminds our attention to go back to the Lord. If, let's say, you fasted this morning on purpose to spend that time with the Lord that you would have spent in breakfast, when your stomach growls now as lunch draws near, that should remind you of the provision of who God is. That should turn our attention back to the Lord. So why might we fast? What were the purposes given throughout the scriptures uh, for reasons to fast? Well, we're going to go through a pretty good list. uh, And I'm going to do it in as quick a manner, but as coherent as possible. And the first was fasting drew us into moments of memory, into moments of remembrance of what God had done. You see that it reminded, uh, fasting in the Old Testament reminded Israel of what God had done and what they'd brought, been brought out of and the plight they now found themselves in. Time and again, the people of Israel were called to fast to remember what God had done and realize this is where you are now, you stiff-necked people. Time and again, they were reminded, you have turned. Didn't, did you forget what God has already done for you? For us as Christians today, Jesus taught the disciples that they would fast to remember what he had done for them and what he has done for us. And we can even, in a very small little way, relate the fact that that hunger pain we feel for just but a moment is nothing compared to the pain and suffering that Jesus gave willingly on our behalf so that we might have life for all eternity. It reminds us of who he is and what he's done gives us moments to remember. It also strengthens our prayer life. Ezra 8.23, whenever, uh, whenever we think of the people of Israel being allowed to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild it, 
It didn't come lightly. It was a big journey to return back. And it was a bigger step of trusting that God would protect them from enemies all around. And they needed to know that God would be with them and that God would protect them. And they needed to know that their prayers were focused. And so Ezra in 8.23, listen to what he prays. I've marked it. And he says this. He said, so we fasted and we petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. Time and again, you see fasting and prayer connected. As if when we fast, we're drawn into a depth of prayer that forces us to depend on the Lord. That focuses our attention on things above, not on the carnal things, the physical things of this world. And so Ezra was modeling to the people We will fast and we will pray and we will trust God in this situation. So we fast to strengthen our prayer. Why would our prayers need strengthened? Well, maybe we're seeking God's direction. Uh, Judges 20. Israel, the the tribes of Israel battle against Gibeah uh, out of the tribe of Benjamin uh, who had just done a horrible thing. And I'm going to give you the, the short version and you find this in Judges 20, you can read the whole account, but twice they, they thought they'd slowed down enough to seek God, but what they'd really done is they'd kind of done the drive-by prayer, God, help us. Let's go get them. Let's go conquer. And twice they were soundly beaten. And on the third time, they called out a fast, a corporate fast. Everybody fast and truly, truly seek the Lord. And they said, Lord, We want to avenge the evil that has been done to you and to your great people. And we want to do this, but we keep getting beaten. Lord, will you go before us this time? And in that fast, and in that declaration of dependence on God, God answered them. And he said, yeah, now you should be going. I've got this. And surely enough, the people of Israel were victorious. One has to wonder, had they started there? Had they started with complete confidence in God and dependence on him to go to him in fasting and prayer first? Would the results have been different? Would all the lives that had been lost have been lost? Sometimes, if you, if you move that ahead, maybe we're not fighting those physical battles, but we're fighting spiritual battles of all kinds. And what we do now is we make accusations against people or we go and we seek everybody's advice first. And we go and we get on WhatsApp and Viber and Facebook and every version we can and we ask, what do you think I should do? And we wait until we get the answer we want from somebody that legitimizes our opinion. And on the way we say, oh God, what do you think I should do? But we're not really listening in those moments, are we? We're wanting him to confirm what we want. We're wanting him to say, yes, your, your vindictive attitude is right. Yes, your, your choice uh, to choose comfort over self-denial is right. Yes, and fill in the blank with whatever it is. That's right. Fasting forces us away from that into listening to God and saying that we will seek him first for direction. We'll trust that he will guide us in which way we should go. And we will walk in it. There's a part to that declaration that we have to act. That we will go where he has set us to go. 
Another reason we might fast is to express grief, grief over loss. Interestingly, the men of Jabesh-Gilead fasted seven days at the loss of King Saul. You find that in 1 Samuel 31. They knew the time would come when their king would be removed from power. Samuel had already spoken that, but they still mourned the loss of God's anointed. David, time and again, said that he would not wish harm to befall his king, God's anointed. So the people of Jabesh-Gilead modeled grief over loss. And that can be a very helpful thing for those of us that deal with loss in our life. That we give that grief to the Lord. And he can provide comfort and understanding in those moments of loss. And he can bring meaning into confusion. And he says, I've got you. I've got enough. But there's also the idea that we fast out of grief for our sin. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes we look at our spiritual lives and we realize, I have sinned egregiously against you, Lord. And I am so sorry. But what I'm going to do, Lord, is I have confessed my sin to you. And I know, based on 1 John 1, 9, that I have been forgiven. And so this isn't a self-flagellation, a, I'm going to punish myself, that's going to make me more innocent. It's not that. But Lord, I'm going to fast to let you reorient my heart, to remind me that you are all I need, to remind me of the promises you've made that I have been forgiven. That my sin, yes, I'm living in those consequences, potentially what they might be, but my identity is not lost because I am yours. We fast to grieve over our sin. David did this as his son was dying out of, because he'd had an affair with Bathsheba. And when the son died, he got up and he worshiped God. God had kept his word. And it wasn't that David was no longer sad. But David, after fasting and mourning and weeping the, the future loss of his son, then turned it to the Lord and was able to worship his God and his king. We, we may fast out of the brokenheartedness when we realize we have sinned greatly against God and against man. But God doesn't keep us in that position. He raises us out of that into a place of worship. Fasting will always lead us to the heart of the glory of God. And as I said already, fasting can be done to express repentance and turning back to God. So we have confessed our sin. He has been faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purified us for all unrighteousness. But then we're allowing him, as we saw in Joel, and we see in Joel chapter 2, we see that the Lord specifically commands his people to signify their repentance, their turning back to him by fasting. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Yes, deal with the reality of your sin and show that you're coming back to me by denying yourself of food and of celebration and coming back to dependence on me. For the people of Israel, fasting in this situation was to remind them and signify that they were repentant, that they were coming back to the Lord, and they were asking God to repair and refine their broken hearts. 
There's times when we need to do the same. When we might not want to admit the pride or the hardness that we find inside us. But God says, get along, fast, and let me reorient your heart. Every spiritual discipline draws us to a place of dependence. I'm going to keep saying that over and over again. So we fast to turn us back to God, to remind us of what's truly important. The great little Hummel booklet. We fast to remind us not of what's urgent, but of who is important. The list goes on. We fast to seek God's protection and deliverance. What do I mean by that? No better case of that than the book of Esther. Esther is faced with a monumental step of faith and she doesn't know how this is going to turn out. This is Exodus chapter 4. The peep Mordecai uh, has challenged her to go on behalf of the people of Israel and stand up for them against persecution like they'd not seen since the days of Egypt. And Esther's like, but I haven't even been invited to see the king. And if I go in and he doesn't welcome me, I'm a dead woman. And so what does Esther say to the people? She says, go off all the people in Susa that are Israelites and that are with us and spend three days and three nights fasting and praying out that God will protect his people. Before she even made an action, she begged for God's protection and deliverance and invited others to do the same. Were they all together? No, they were probably in their own homes doing it quietly. But they were doing it. They were fasting, begging God to deliver and to protect. And God did exactly that, not in the way that Esther expected. In fact, they couldn't withdraw the law that had already been been made up. So the king makes another law saying, Israelites have every power to defend themselves. And oh, did they. And God protected his people. And Esther's very life was protected as well. She sought the Lord and she invited others to deny themselves of food, to proclaim their dependence on God, and to give the entire situation to him, saying, Lord, this is yours. I can't fix this. I can't force my king to let me into his chamber. Lord, I will trust in you. The next one we see that you can see on the screen is we fast to humble ourselves before God. This is a tough one because we don't like to admit that pride has snuck into our lives. I'm, every day I'm guilty of that. But when we fast, it draws us to a place like we see in Psalm 35, 13. I humbled myself with fasting. It's an expression of humility saying, God, I'm not enough. You are. God, I depend on you. And I've taken a lot of that control back. And so as I fast today, remind me that it's all yours. Remind me that all the earth and everything in it is yours. Lord, I am but a slave. You are my king. And I will depend on you. We humble ourselves before the Lord. 
we also might fast to remember or express concern for the work of God. I read a clip, I don't know how accurate it is, but it said that up to 90% of the civilized parts of Haiti had been destroyed in the past few days. Hundreds of lives have been lost. We think of Syria, which has been pushed off to the side because the civil war has gone on for so long. And hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost and millions have been displaced. We think of places like the Sudan, of Rwanda, where genocide has continued and lives are lost on a daily basis. We think of abortions happening all over the world where lives are taken that had no voice to speak up for them. And there are times when we should be drawn to our knees to fast. God, please come back and fix this broken world. Because I can't do it. I wonder if our hearts break for the plight of the poor and the oppressed all over the world. But if we remember just for a moment when we should be eating or when we should be doing another activity that we might have given up for a season. And we turn to God and we say, God, I love the worship song line that goes, break my heart for what breaks yours. We cry out to God like often happens in the Psalms. Lord, give me a soft heart. Make my words be gentle and true. Lord, the needs of others are so great, it's overwhelming. I want to be honest with you. When I get to this place in in fasting, and um, there's a a time in my life when I do fast regularly, and and I get praying, and I start by praying for the life of our church family, and then as it grows into local and, and region and then global, and it feels overwhelming because the needs, the brokenness, the corruption, the sin is everywhere, and it's, it's more than I can bear. I, I read the newspapers this morning. I read the South China. I read the, the Times. I read the BBC, and all three of them, and it's just like, well, after you got past Trump, which isn't encouraging either, you, but you just see such hopelessness. And I wonder if we're drawn to a place of dependence where we say, God, the world is broken. Would you... Would you soften my heart and use me? On uh, Friday, I, I felt more hopeless, helpless, not hopeless, than I'd felt in a long time. And I was driving to pick up my kids from school, and I was coming through San Po Kong. Many of you know where the new Kai Tak development is called Makiki. It's right on the edge of where the old airport was. And there's a footbridge there. And as I drove by, I was complaining because traffic had been pretty well stopped. And I was late to pick up my kids, and I knew they wanted me to get them from school. I knew my time was tight. I knew, you know, a million things going on, and I was sitting in traffic, which just nobody likes to do. And all I was thinking was, I, 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 I. And then I got about 100 meters from that footbridge, and I saw that a giant air mattress had been inflated, that police had cordoned off the road so no traffic could get through. And lo and behold, on the top of that footbridge was a woman and her daughter, who I found out later was nine years old, that had come to the place in her life where there was no reason to live. And I felt so helpless. I just wanted to jump up there and say, hey, God made you and he loves you. 
and he will get you through what we found out later. She was brokenhearted over a divorce and other things. I had to get somebody to read me the Chinese newspaper because the English newspaper didn't even cover it. We've become so accustomed to these things that we just push them off to the side. And in that moment, I felt so hopeless that I came to the place where all I could do was pray. And praise the Lord, the first responders were there and she did not lose her life that day. But I wonder who's walking alongside her. Who did God soften the heart of that could walk with her and say, I know you're hurting, I know you're broken, but God has you, not just for now, but for all eternity. Would we fast for such a desire that God would soften our hearts to the plight of the world we find ourselves in? Would we fast that God would open our eyes to the needs of our neighbors and that we would be willing to act upon them? Because what happens next is we get to minister to the need of others. We fast asking for God to give us opportunities. Isaiah 58 is a confusing passage because there we find that the people of Israel were fasting and God was mad. And so why is that? Well, Whitney, Donald Whitney explains it better than I could. So I'm going to read his words so that you can track along. In the most extensive passage in scripture dealing exclusively with fasting, God emphasizes fasting for the purpose of meeting the needs of others. The people originally addressed in this section had complained to the Lord that they had fasted and humbled themselves before, but he hadn't answered them. The reason why he had not heard them was their disobedience. Their lives were hypocritical in contrast to their fasting and praying. Yet on the day of your fasting, says the Lord in verses 3 and 4, Isaiah 58, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. So while you're over here humbling yourself, you're making people carry loads they have no business carrying. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You're not showing godly love for one another. You're coming out of your fasts and arguing with each other and making accusations against each other. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Fasting can, cannot be compartmentalized from the rest of our lives. I want to read that part again. Fasting cannot be compartmentalized from the rest of our lives. In other words, when we fast, we invite God to bring a magnifying glass to all of our life and say, here I am, raw, hungry, needy, desperate. God, help me. God, I need you. I'm not depending on my spouse. I'm not depending on my success. I'm depending only on you. The spiritual disciplines don't stand alone. God will not bless the practice of any discipline, including fasting, when we reject his word regarding relationships with others. And that's what was borne out in Isaiah. So what should we do? How should we fast? Well, God goes on to answer. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? The Lord asks in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 58. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? In other words, the kind of fasting that pleases God is one that results in concern for others and not just ourselves. Fasting if our attention is on God where it's meant to be at the very heart of the purpose of fasting, draws us to the heart of God and opens our eyes to a world in need in what he might have us do. He's clearly said throughout all time that he cares deeply about the poor, the oppressed, the needy, and that we, his people, should as well. In fact, in James, as some of you have studied, true religion is this that we keep a tight we not be polluted by the ways of the world and we look after the widows and orphans fasting reminds us that there's a world in need and god wants to use us as his tools well it also reminds us that we're dedicated to god and that we worship him and him alone Zechariah 7, 5, he, God asks the questions of the people, was it for me you fasted? Or did you just fast because that way the world would see how holy you are? Much similar to what Jesus responds to the Pharisees with. Who is our fast meant for? It's meant for God and God alone. It's an invitation for him to be glorified by giving him all of our lives, Romans 12. Fasting is about letting God order our lives in a way that says, God, you're all I need. I will depend on you for my sustenance. I will depend on you to provide. I will depend on you to guide me into the way I should go. I will let your words speak as I follow you. And so when we come into a time of fasting, We say, God, open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our minds to what you would have for us. Well, then, the question becomes, how do we fast? Because it's not done very often. We've seen throughout there were all sorts of reasons, from grief and sin to desperation and need uh, to worship. And and worship is always included in fasting. So how do we do it? Well, I'm going to give you some examples that are pretty simple. And again, these are all based on what we find throughout the scriptures. But first, be intentional. Make a plan to fast. Don't come at it half-heartedly because it's like breaking any habit. If you only come at it half-heartedly, are you going to succeed? No. God, I'm going to dedicate this amount of time on this day to fast and be with you. I suggest writing it down somewhere just as a reminder and covenant to yourself. That's my thing. I'm not saying you have to do that, but it helps me. The second thing is, what are you going to abstain from? Lord, I'm going to fast from food for this, series, this season of life. I'm going to give 24 hours, and I'm not going to eat. I will drink water, but nothing else. 
And I'm going to dedicate that time, the time that I would spend on eating or on those activities. I'm going to spend that time with you. I'm going to get alone and I'm going to find a place, even if it's that Susanna Wesley style of hiding in plain sight. And I'm just going to seek you and I'm going to do it with your word and I'm going to let you speak to me. And I know I'm going to be hungry and I know the first couple of times I try, it's going to be tough. But God, I'm yours. And I trust in you. And then dedicate that time. Protect it. Meetings are going to come up. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need that lunch. You don't need that time. You protect that time. You block it off in your calendar in a way that no one can interfere or that you know is a time that is your own, that you can give that time to the Lord. I know some of your schedules are not your own. So you, you have to be flexible with that. God surely understands your situation. And he will provide for you. And he will guide you. And then as you go in to the time of fasting, and as you feel the hunger, as you feel the loss or the withdrawal from what you've withdrawn from, remember the Lord and what he has done in his very heart. And then remind God and remind yourself, God, I'm coming to you today because I see the world around us and I just... I need you, Lord. I need you to show me what you would have. I'm just a a little person in the midst of a whole lot of people. Shape my life. Take my life and let it be holy, pleasing, Lord, to thee. And we say, God, I'm coming to you. I'm grieving. I'm hurt. I've sinned and I've dug such a hole I don't know how to get out of. And I know that that has borne consequence But God, please restore my soul. Please bring me back to you. Please come back. He's never left, remember. But we're returning to him. God, I don't know what to do. I've got all this before me. They've asked me to sign a new contract. They've asked me to join a new thing. They've asked me to do a new thing. And I just don't know. So God, I'm going to open up your word and I'm going to set apart time and I'm seeking you and I'm dedicating, trusting that you will sustain me. And I'm dedicating this time knowing that you will make yourself clear in your perfect time. Here's the thing. Fasting is not a crystal ball. God does not guarantee he will answer you as soon as that fast is over. The answer to your fast might be wait longer. Depend on me for longer. I've known people that went into a fast for the very specific reason of, God, what would you have me do? And they had shared it with me, and I came out, so what did you come out of that fast feeling? And they said two things. One, I don't know. But two, God has me right where I'm supposed to be right now. Every person I've talked to that came out with the I don't know also came out with the God has me. I've never once talked to a person that has truly fasted where God hasn't reminded them that he is in control. Because they've given of themselves and they said it's theirs. And finally, seek the Lord, you know, with all your heart. God, I cry out to you. If there's distractions, name them to God. God, I'm so hungry right now. I really want my curry chicken. 
God, I'm so mad right now. I can't believe they would do this. I, I hate them. And you give it to him. God, I'm so discouraged right now. I fail time and again. I don't deserve you. And you lay it before him. God, I'm so scared right now. I don't know what to do. The anxiety, the fear is overwhelming. Here it is, God. God, I'm broken. I miss him. I miss her. Why would you take them from us? Why would you do that? Here is my grief, Lord. God, this world is tearing itself apart, and I can't fix it. Here it is, Lord. What would you have me do? You see, fasting is so useful in times of crisis. It's so useful in times of concern. It is so useful in times of confession. But it takes an intentional act of us to say, God, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to take up my cross and follow you. And out of obedience to you, I'm going to lay all of this before you. And to show that I'm serious and to learn to depend more deeply on you and learn a new level of intimacy with you and let you speak into my life. I'm going to deny food or fill in the blank. And I'm going to give you that time. And I'm going to let you shape me. pastor once said that part of the reason we don't fast today is because the whole concept behind self-denial is almost unknown. We get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, why we want it. Fasting says, I'm going to deny myself what I want because what I want isn't nearly as great as he who made me. And I need to learn to trust in him. So this week, the invitation is simple. I want to invite you to fast for one meal, to get alone with the Lord during that time, even if it's in the middle of a bunch of other people, with your Bible, and just spend that time with God. Miss that meal. Learn what it's like to be hungry. Give a purpose to it. Lord, I'm going to fast today to learn to worship you more deeply. Lord, I'm going to fast today to let you show me the needs of this world. Lord, I'm going to ask you to open my eyes to... What breaks your hearts? You get the idea. I'm going to give this to you, Lord. And then not too long from now, as as we get some answers as a church family about what God has in our future, I'm going to invite us into a corporate time of fast where we will follow what the scripture said. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And then as we saw in Joel, we will commit to fasting. I'm not going to ask you to wear sackcloth but I am going to ask you to commit to praying with the church family and doing it together for a certain amount of time throughout each week, saying, Lord, lead us, guide us, and grow us as you see fit. Are we willing to let God take control of our lives so much that we say, God, even my very basest of need of food, I'm entrusting to you. And in so doing, I'm saying, you're really all I need, much more than the food I want right now. You are enough. Because fasting ultimately brings us to that conclusion that he is all we need. He is our strength and our portion, our strong tower. 
our good shepherd, our creator, our sustainer. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. And we need to depend on you. And Jesus was very clear. He invited us to be a people that fast. But it's, it's a hard one to do. It's uncomfortable. And so I ask that this week that our hearts would be oriented to you into a season of fasting that draws us into a deeper dependence upon you and who you are. And that we learn that in fasting we can give you everything. And you can carry it. And that you can draw us to yourself. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we declare proudly, you are all we need. You are enough. Amen.